rolling. What's happening, y'all? A to Z show, episode number 61, and we are here with a very special guest, Megan Crozier. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Um, tell the audience uh, who you are and, well, why you're here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Megan Crozier, and I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, which is basically just a mouthful way of saying that I am trained in functional nutrition. Um, and I actually have a background in strength training, fitness, uh, so I started off as a personal trainer, um, did a lot of kettlebell stuff uh, after kind of being introduced to strength and fitness really back in college probably. So did a lot of CrossFit, um, kind of drank the Kool-Aid there, and then moved into kettlebells and learned how to actually move well and train in a way that I think is similar to what you guys are all about. So um, eventually I got more interested in nutrition, kind of from like my own health mistakes, I guess. I followed a lot of the conventional stuff that's out there, um, which is why I do what I do, because a lot of women come to me not knowing really how to properly fuel their bodies. And so they end up with a lot of the digestive issues, hormone imbalances, uh, metabolic issues, things like that, that come from chronic dieting and exercise. Um, so in my practice, I primarily work with women who are struggling with a lot of those like common but not normal symptoms, so like fatigue and uh, bloating, digestive issues, cravings, things like that. And um, yeah, I teach them how to properly fuel their body and kind of find a sustainable plan that works for them, but also looks at like how their body works and how to move well, how to nourish their body um, and not you know get sucked into a lot of those like diet myths and misconceptions and things like that that are out there. So yeah. Oh yeah. New to Nashville also, want to throw that in there. Yes, so. yes. welcome yeah. to town. Welcome. Part of the club now? now? Yeah, so I moved here in November, uh, beginning of November. Very so, cool. And yeah. from where? Uh, from the D.C. Arlington, Alexandria area, which is where I actually started um, with the personal training. I moved there after college, so I actually studied kinesiology at Penn State and then graduated, moved to the D.C. area. Uh, I was there for like seven and a half years, so wow. yeah. yeah. So obviously we have wanted a uh, nutrition expert on the show mm -hmm. for a while, um, so really glad to have you on. Um, but I will also say that the kettlebell background and connection also netted you major brownie <laughs> points. Well, and the CrossFit and USA weightlifting. and Those not so much. The kettlebells, <laughs> major brownie She's points. She's RKC to start with. RKC, major brownie points. Now, also... Oh, really? Over SFG? Yeah. Dude, it's all, it's all it's the same. same. It's all the same. <laughs> you, except, you can, for the, except for the get-up, but okay. Anyway, anyway sidebar. Sidebar, also, um, so Megan is our third guest for the year. We had Sam, Sam, Tracy. Oh, Sam and Sam, that's right. Right. And So, Strongman Sam and Tracy both have some triangulated... Um, connections to Megan. Oh, the D.C. area, that's right. Sam, I don't know if you listened to the episode with Sam Strongman Pister. Sam, he was in politics, essentially, for a number of years there in the D.C. area. And funny enough, Tracy Cook, longtime fan of the show, uh, actually got her start in kettlebells at the gym where you used to work. Yep, yeah. Oh, it's a small world. Small it is world. a small world. Yeah. That's pretty wild. So... 
Well, and then Sam did CrossFit. It's like, it's all coming together, man. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's almost like it was written in the stars <laughs> to have you as our next guest. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you got your start in fitness, and then you got, you had, you've mentioned, at least off air, you mentioned you had your own sort of nutritional, you know, um, mishaps, misconceptions. You, str- you struggle a little bit with your own nutrition stuff. Yeah. If you want to talk about that, you're welcome to. But um, from there, I was kind of hoping to learn a little bit more about your approach with, let's say, a brand new client that's coming in that's been struggling to lose weight or, you know, fit into this or that piece of clothing. Like, what's your approach when you're working with a brand new client that's been struggling for a little while? Like, how do you start to break down those um, initial barriers as far as, like, who they are, what their goals are, what their habits are, and like kind of get them moving in the right direction. What, like, what does that look like? Okay. Do you want me to answer the first part of the question? Yes. Then, okay. And then I'll try to remember. I'm, just, all I was that. Gonna say, I'm gonna say, if you can do both, all right, I have can to we ask rewind me. and all of you so, listen? One of us is your question. I was gonna say one of us is already a beer deep. Um, yeah. So going back to, I'll give you like the abbreviated version of my, I guess, nutrition mishaps, which I didn't even realize at the time that they were mistakes. I guess anytime you're doing something that you think you should be doing, you don't see it as a mistake until like, you know, hindsight's 2020. So whenever I started, I mean, all the way back to high school, I thought it was pretty healthy because I was following the advice from like women's health magazines because those were when magazines were a thing. And uh, basically like the eat less, exercise more mentality. Um, and I would do all the cardio also. So I was like afraid to weight train um, and basically only equated like weight with health, which I I know a lot of people still do that. Um, And so from that, I was like kind of obsessed with nutrition, but then eventually realized that the approach that I was taking was very much like eat less, exercise more, low fat foods, healthy whole grains, like kind of that standard American like nutrition advice. Um, And so the program that I went through had more of a functional approach. And that's one thing that got me interested in it. So um, the like kind of quick background is, you know, starting CrossFit, I obviously found like the paleo diet. That's when it like first started becoming big too. And I was like, okay, eating like whole foods, this is cooler than, you know, low fat cereal and stuff like that. So I started doing that and that did help me a little bit. But then from there, the combination of eating what I thought was healthy, which was really just like low calorie all the time combined with like intense training and workouts and cardio and things like that. Um, it led to a lot of digestive issues and just like chronic fatigue. Like I remember taking naps in the middle of the day. Um, and so from there, that's why I was like, okay, what's actually going on? Like what's going off my hormones? What's going off my gut health? And did more of the functional test and um, certifications and stuff that helped me to actually understand what was going on. So that's like the short version of me going from point A to point B-ish, I guess. Cause there's lots more to it, but um, yeah. I was going to say, you can share as much or as little as you want on <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, no, that's, that's, the, that's the short version. Um, and, yeah, so then next part of the question, part two. So um, you have your own experience as far as, like, what you thought you were doing was the, the right way, the, the correct way, and you found out that there was a better way. Um, and you currently work with clients who probably have the same sort of mentality about it. They're, mm-hmm. you know, work out all the time, eat. 1200 calories a day or whatever that looks like how do you go about when you take a brand on a brand new client 
they have all these um, ideas in their head about what they ought to be doing, what they should be doing. I don't know, maybe some guilt and some shame like tied in there. How do you go about sort of um, that initial phase of that client process of like, okay, you know, I get it, I understand it. Here's how we're going to change things and change your lifestyle to be more conducive to your goals and your health. Like how, how do we make that shift where you get that buy-in? Yeah. That behavior change. Yeah. The buy-in was, was the uh, keystone phrase that I was waiting for. So I'm glad yeah. you dropped it. I'm not a man of few words. That's, that's why you have a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm very curious on that as well. I think, I think as a coach, however you're working with somebody, the buy-in, those first initial steps are so crucial. And for training, it seems a little bit more cut and dry, um, but I can imagine for nutrition, it can be quite a tricky minefield to, to navigate. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very curious on that, that idea of buy-in uh, myself. Yeah, it is tricky. And I mean, there are a lot of parallels to training as well. Um, but I think with nutrition, one thing that I don't like about this job, but also love about this job is that literally everybody, like they have to eat, like that's part of, you know, your day-to-day -day life. And so they have to have some level of knowledge about what nutrition actually looks like. And for some people, they think they know a lot more than they do. And then they like to like stick with those ways, like very firmly. Um, and then other people will admit to like not knowing anything at all, which is helpful because they're kind of starting from scratch and they like completely put their trust in me and like the recommendations that I make. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's a little different where with training you can like pick and choose do you want to work out or not versus with eating like everybody has to eat. So it's like what decisions are they going to make? So I think the first thing like just kind of getting that buy in is actually getting a clear understanding of what they do believe to be true about nutrition and what it actually looks like to be healthy. So what are they currently doing? What does that look like? Um, and then also what their goals are. So I try to take it a little bit deeper than just the aesthetic like body composition goals. Um, that's usually whenever people start to pay attention to their nutrition. So they look at it like if they want to see actual physical changes in their body. Whereas I'm like, no, we need to look at it for like all these other reasons because it matters even you know before you're paying attention to your weight. Um, but getting clear on their goals and like, what that actually looks like and then going over all of the different like improvements they want to see in their health. So all the way from like the body composition also to their energy levels, um, their recovery, like how well they're sleeping, their digestion, their gut health, um, and then their weight as well and their body composition goals. So um, I think that answers like one part of the question, but yeah. Well, I mean, we all know that behavior change is complicated and multifaceted. So it's almost like you just had to tackle like one domino after the next kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. I guess what, what's a common misconception? Like, like for us, probably as coaches, the most common one, at least working with like women, is I don't want to get too bulky. Mm -hmm. What would be the equivalent on the nutrition side of things? Um, well, yeah, there's a lot. So I thought about, actually, I was just having this conversation this morning with someone about starting a thread that's like things I overhear in the gym. I'm sure you guys can make some mm. funny ones too, but uh, things overheard in the gym are like things overheard in the grocery store. Um, so I think one of the biggest ones is just 
Uh, it's all about calories in, calories out. So you just have to eat less and exercise more, which if you want to lose weight, that's true on a very like oversimplified level. That works for the standard American who is overweight and also very sedentary, and it'll work for them at first. Um, so like, yes, that does work to some extent, but it doesn't account for, you know, your blood sugar regulation, your adaptations that can take place as a result of cutting calories. Uh, it doesn't consider like how your calories change or your calorie needs change on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. Um, so there's more to the equation than that. And a lot of people will come to me having already done the eat less, exercise more. And that's another thing I think with going back to like the buy-in is meeting them where they're at. So figuring out like what all they've tried and then what they're willing to actually change. Um, so for, you know, some women who have been like overeating for the last 10 years, not really realizing it, it's hard to get them to actually slowly increase their calories or hard to get them to, you know, eat more protein with breakfast, like those little tiny things. Um, but once they start to see improvements in like their energy levels and their recovery and body composition and stuff like that, then they're like, okay, this is actually, you know, kind of working. But um, yeah, to go back, just like the eat less, exercise more, I would say is one of the most common um, misconceptions. Yeah, and that's a little, it's a, it's a bit of an insidious, um, idea or mindset because calories in calories out is not a untrue math but it is not the full picture it is it is not um it's too robotic it's well for a lot of people it's not even the issue yeah. you know what i mean like if this was just math then it would take a kindergarten education for everybody to nail their nutrition. Yeah. Right? 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 Or, or maybe I should say second or third grade. Like okay. it doesn't, you know, the math, quote unquote, of nutrition is very simple. You know, we can calculate our calories from fat, calories from protein, mm -hmm. calories from carbs. We can add, we can subtract. All of that is very, very... Um, simple rudiment it's not unimportant but the whole calorie math the whole macronutrient math it's not untrue but it is also far from the whole truth mm -hmm. and um maybe you can speak more to this but i've always been quite turned off by a lot of uh, coaches or organizations that put so much stock in, um, let's just say, if it fits your macros or the whole macro math approach, so to speak. Yeah. I think it's, it's important because we all have to live by the uh, physics of the universe that we live in, or the simulation, depending on your, <laughs> on your belief system. Um, but if it was that simple, then there would be no need for a nutrition coach or nutrition guidance or any diet in the first place. Mm, so in right. training, there'd be no reason for strength coaches. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, sure, like we can start from like this base level of math, calories, calories in, calories out, macros and that whole thing. But um, I, 
maybe not so much these days, but especially maybe three to five years ago, there was, at least in my circles, I saw so much of like this fixation on these magical macronutrient, macronutrient ratios. Sorry, that was a mouthful. Um, and I was just like, really? It's still, like, yeah. Like, like, we're talking about basic math here. Like, there's, there's more to it than that. People love, like, macro calculators. And, like, one of the, probably one of the most common questions I get is, like, what should my macros be? Or, like, how many calories should I be eating? And I feel like that would be, like, if someone came up to you and was, like, you know nothing about them, but they're, like, how much should I squat on, like, Wednesday of next week? Like, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I'm not sure if I've actually tweeted this or not, um, or if I made an Instagram post about it, but I think like the, hopefully I don't ruffle too many feathers here. Ah, fuck it. Um, <laughs> Is it the first F word you've said on this podcast? I think it might be. I might be second allowed to cuss on Oh yeah. This, yeah. I cuss all the time. <laughs> this new Belgian blonde really is 7%. <laughs> yeah, it'll loosen you up. It really is 7%. Um, the idea of a macros coach makes about as much sense to me as a sets and reps coach. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, the other thing about macros and calories, I think they have, like you said, there's like a time and a place for them, but they're just tools out, like, out of this like bigger picture. Like You have to have the complete toolbox and people get fixated on calories and macros and associate those with like, that's nutrition. Um, but that's just one piece of understanding, I think, of the nutrition puzzle. And a lot of them lack the like foundational pieces. So they'll come to me with knowing like, you know, how many grams of protein they're getting, or they know how many calories they're shooting for based on like what my fitness pal tells them to do. But they're still not like addressing a lot of the foundations like uh drinking enough water and like hydrating properly with minerals. That's something that I'm like a huge stickler for. Um, they don't have proper meal timing. So they're waiting until like 1 PM to eat and they're just like drinking coffee all morning. Um, or they're not focusing on food quality and they're eating a lot of like really crappy, just like diety, whatever bars and keto ice creams and stuff like that. So it's like, you're missing the point here of like, how to nourish your body in the first place and eating adequate calories. A lot of people miss the mark on that because um, they go from one extreme to another. It's not like there's, they don't ever find that happy medium because that's just like too easy to find that balance mm. like, and live your life normally. Just, they have to be extreme. <laughs> we, I was gonna say most of us like extreme answers. Yeah. Well, for, what, for one reason or another, everyone likes like extreme answers. To equate it to like, again, I guess in the fitness industry, you're either sedentary or you like start doing CrossFit and you have to go like balls to the wall, red line, every mm -hmm. single workout. It's like, what if you just like move well and find that happy medium of, you know, building strength and like building the foundations first. So, right. um, yeah. but yeah. And then on that note too, I think a lot of people try to out exercise their, their food. So again, they're going to the extreme with their workouts where they feel like they have to work out a lot and have to like, do a ton of cardio and burn calories and then they're also not like nourishing their body properly in the first place so it's like stress on top of stress on top of stress mm. basically yeah i think several weeks ago andy we uh pontificated about this idea of like um 
like the fundamental difference, I don't know if this fits in like a puzzle piece to what you were just saying, but like there's a difference between like um, eating 500 fewer calories being sedentary versus eating, let's say, not minus 500 calories, but like whatever your baseline is, and not exercising those calories off, but rather putting those calories as units of, en as of energy to use in the building of your body in, in training. The, the, the former way, you bottleneck yourself very, very quickly. I think that's where a lot of people find themselves is exercising more, eating less, and then you just, you, you hit a brick wall pretty quick. Um, whereas if you take this fundamental mindset shift of eating for performance, maybe as cliche as that, as that is to say, on the latter side, we hit a brick wall very, very quickly. But with this other mindset, we have lots of room to grow in many different ways, both physiological and maybe psychological. Um, so maybe that was a little bit of a, a, of a tangent, but um, for me, someone who doesn't exactly go into um, super duper detail um, with nutrition for, for my particular clients, that is maybe one of the mindsets or heuristics that I try to impart on my clients. It's like, at the end of the day, we're building the machine. Whether that means adding more calories, subtracting calories, modifying what we're eating in any capacity, we're not, we're not, um, we're not looking at this as like a zero-sum game. We're looking at how do you get better and we can fit your goals, whether they be aesthetic or in any other way, we hitch those goals to the train of becoming a more strong, conditioned, well-rounded athlete. So mm -hmm. kind, of staying, kind of staying firmly in my lane as a strength and conditioning coach, mm -hmm. but adding that nutritional component onto that to fuel the train and not letting that slow us down so to speak yeah well i think too if you can teach people like one thing that i wasn't recognizing at all that i wish i did sooner was again i was only thinking of workouts to like burn calories and so i was like well the more i can exercise and like the less i can eat that's like pretty cool not realizing how much it backfires one my workouts are completely counterproductive and then two i end up feeling more tired and then probably more hungry like either the rest of the day or the following day, kind of like to make up for that, you know, lack of energy that I was giving myself. Um, and so looking at it really more as a way to like, this does sound kind of cliche, but to actually fuel your body and looking at it as like a unit of energy to fuel your workouts, like that helps tremendously. Um, and one thing I teach my clients is like, if you're exercising more, you eat more. And if you're exercising less, you can probably also eat less. Like obviously listen to your hunger cues, but from a metabolic standpoint too, like that's much more ideal because you're not forcing your body into those like metabolic adaptations and shifts that can come from stressors. So like, again, the stress of exercising while simultaneously being in a calorie deficit, like you have to kind of earn your way to those 
you know, more intense productive workouts by eating more calories and getting good quality sleep and, you know, getting sunlight. Like again, some of those like foundational things that I teach a lot, but well, that's so tricky, too, because usually, and I'm sure you have clients like this. We probably all have clients like this. They come in hot, and they're like, I want to exercise three times a week. I want to track my intake. I want to do. I want to drink less alcohol. Like, like all these ambitious goals. And I have to give them credit for having ambitious goals. But it is a lot to bite off in, mm-hmm. like, the initial. So usually I'm like, hey, awesome. More power to you. I love it. Do we know it? let's just get workouts going first like just let's just be consistent with workouts like once that's like going and it's like pretty routine and we're not worried about it so much then yes we'll dive into the next big thing like sunlight water well water is usually easy with the fitness part but sunlight water sleep you know nutrition we're not going to try to tackle all of those things all at the same time it's it's a lot of behavior change all at once and it, you end up, I think, creating more barriers than you need to. So I'm, I'm very hesitant with my new clients. I'm like, look, love it. Let's do it. We will do it. But for now, I just want you to focus on being here at your time slot or whatever for the next four weeks. And then once we're grooving, then we'll tackle the next thing. And so taking small bites of that elephant or whatever. When you say creating more barriers too, do you mean you like as a coach suggesting things to them or them creating barriers for themselves by being like, I'm gonna do all of these things like all at once? Um, probably them, but also like mostly perceived barriers. In, in other words, I don't wanna make this more challenging by being like, oh, well, I gotta show up and do fitness two times a week with Andy. I gotta show up to the gym on my own three times a week doing cardio. I gotta watch my calorie intake. I gotta go to bed by nine. Like I get it, like those are all great goals but it's a lot to take on especially if you haven't been doing any of those things Mm -hmm. and so I'm not saying you can't do them and some of my clients are more ambitious than others and can can do that can stack them up and knock them down but most people like this is a lot to like take mental stock of and so I'm like that's great let's do all those things we don't have to do all those things right now like today we can do one of those things this week or maybe work on a couple of those things this week and you know holler at me let me know how it's going and if it's not going great let's figure it out but like we don't have to get it all right right now we just we're gonna slowly let this snowball build um and it can be challenging i mean i'm sure you've run into this like people want to be and do all the things all at the same time and you're like okay that's cool yeah but like it's it's a lot and so i don't want to make this harder than it has to be so let's start with the biggest easiest one and go from there or whatever that looks like for that individual well and that's why why i asked like is it yeah, like, are they creating those barriers for themselves? Because that's one thing I'll do, like, with the initial intake we talk about, like, challenges and barriers. And a lot of it has to do with, like, environmental stuff. So they're attributing it to, like, their partner or um, their lack of willpower, lack of discipline, lack of time is a huge one. And usually when we break it down, what they, like, think they have to be doing, we can simplify it, like, 10 times more so that it's, not taking up a lot of time their partner is not influencing what they're doing um and so like meal planning as an example they're like i just don't have time to spend you know three hours in the kitchen on sundays and i'm like i don't even spend three hours in the kitchen on sundays or like at any point in time in the week you don't have to do that so we like figure out what are their perceived barriers and then how can we 
simplify those so it's just like a no-brainer right and if they're like all right i'm gonna plan my meals out for the entire week like breakfast lunch dinner snacks but like they're not even eating three solid consistent meals in the first place i'm like let's just start with one meal like let's start with breakfast and then we'll start to like build from there so um yeah and a lot of people find that like the challenges and barriers that they come up also resolve whenever they have more energy and they again like physiological side of things like i always talk about balancing blood sugar because that takes care of a lot of like the mood swings the energy swings the cravings things like that but if you address that then a lot of the choices that they were making before are basically like no longer an issue because they're not dealing with those like physiological imbalances of blood sugar swings so that's kind of cool too but. honestly that's the beauty of being a coach like with a physical gym is all for all those clients that come in with like very ambitious goals which I, and again i love them i'm like all right great let's do the thing let me do the fitness side like i just need you to show up your your task is to walk through my front door and after that i got you the workouts are uh, they're based on your goals and your limitations and your needs and all that but i design them you don't have to think about it i just want you to show up and i got you once you walk in the door so that's one less mental task for them and then i'm like okay now that now that fitness is going and i got you we're in the gym doing the thing what's the next big thing that you want to tackle and i want you know i can guide you with that but also like you can free up the fitness side of things you've outsourced that to me i got that now let's focus on what you can do at home you know between workouts or you know nutritionally what that looks like so i love the behavior change of things because it's such a human element to what we do like going back to what we were talking about off air as far as like online coaching when you've never coached a human before those are the easiest workouts in the world i can write a program like that i don't have to think about writing programs they're super easy to write but when you work with an individual like an actual person it becomes a lot more complicated and, and it's like a puzzle that you're trying to put together and figure out and so I love working with people and that behavior change, but I'm always curious how some people sort of navigate that, especially in, I feel like nutrition is way more challenging than fitness, honestly, I think it is. Like fitness is easy for most people, they're like, all right, I just gotta pick up this weight and lift it 15 times or whatever. Like it's much more, you and I've talked about this, I find fitness to be much more mechanical. Show up, do this, leave. Mm-hmm. Nutrition is a lot more nuanced to that. Well, like, yeah. I think with nutrition too, this could be because there's literally so, maybe it's just because I'm in it, but like there's so much conflicting information about nutrition out there. So that's one part of it. I mean, I know there's a lot of conflicting information about like, you know, exercise and strength and conditioning and stuff like that too, in terms of like programming for your clients. But like the nutrition stuff is very prevalent and literally anybody and everybody can talk about it. So it gets super confusing. So that's one part of it. And the other part is actual like, mental emotional side of things like Mm -hmm. most people come to me and they say like i'm an emotional eater i'm like everybody's emotional eater like food tastes good like (laughs) it makes sense that you want to eat something when you're feeling upset (laughs) it's just how you then interpret those feelings and handle them and um actually i'm laughing because of that quote you read earlier about just like realizing that you have the feeling like helps it to dissipate or whatever dissolve but like that's really true with some of my clients are like I did xyz and now I feel really really bad about it and like everything else from there kind of like spiraled out of control 
And I was like, well, you recognized it. And like, that's the first step. So we just acknowledge that you felt this way, you did this thing. And now next time, like, what can we do instead? Or if we do do the same thing again, that's cool too. Just like move on from it. Um, and so a lot of what I do is like, obviously addressing the, again, physiological components, like that's super important. We talk about balancing blood sugar or, you know, supporting your digestion, stuff like that. But then also looking at like, how is your relationship with food? Um, and especially for a lot of women who have dieted or like they've learned from uh, maybe their parents or, you know, generations before them, it's a pretty messed up relationship. And so we have to address that like physical um, and emotional component both at the same time. Um, so yeah, a lot of people do just like get in their own way. And I don't know, I don't know what the like parallel would be for working out. Like if someone's just like, I can't, like, I can't, they think they can't do something and you're like, well, yeah, you can. Like, oh, I literally just, I put plates on bars and they're like, how much is it? And I'm like, I'll tell you after you lift it. <laughs> yeah. I do it all the time. It would, it would almost be a little bit easier if we were also professional chefs and we just cooked for our clients three times a day. Oh, yeah. so much now, well, Andy an could do that. Oh, I, yeah. do, I do like to cook, yeah. I don't know if you guys follow Andy's Eats on, uh, on I, I do cook, know, yeah. I will now. I'm only going to do tacos tonight, so don't... I might post them, but it's only beef tacos tonight. What is it usually? Like, what's only oh, beef it could tacos? Be, you're downplaying it. Oh, beef tacos are because I'm going to show up at, like, 6 or 6.30, and I like to cook, so it's just quick. But I don't know, it could be anything. I mean, I've done, like, what was the shrimp one that I did, the orzo with the bell peppers? Oh, I did one last week that was um, chicken thighs. I wanted boneless, skinless, but they didn't have any, so I went bone in, skin on, um, with basmati. And it was a whole cast iron dish with a bunch of vegetables, and you throw it in the oven for 40 minutes. Stellar. Stellar. I'll show you a picture later. But that it was sounds so incredible. good. Well, I'm like, also, you probably do more. I never follow recipes, and I rarely cook like an actual dish that's like somewhat interesting. It always tastes good, but I literally just like throw components of a meal together in a bowl and like put a sauce on it and call it a day. So I actually also want you as a okay. chef because that sounds good. So I do. So well, I've spoken about this at large before, but the reason I started cooking was to help manage my anxiety. I just need to keep my hands busy, so I follow recipes all the time. People are funny. They're like, when are you going to open up your own restaurant? You come up with these great recipes. I'm like, <laughs> I found it online. <laughs> but also, it's funny you use it for that. Well, not funny, but the fact that you use it for that, something I'll tell my clients who literally hate to be in the kitchen, usually it's the ones who also like live by themselves and they like just have no enjoyment being in the kitchen. They don't want to be by themselves because they'll start to feel like whatever, like anxious and stuff. And they just want to like bag grab, grab a bag of chips instead. Um, but I'm like, make it like enjoyable, like actually follow a recipe that you know the end result's gonna like taste really good. Um, like put some good music on, also have good like actual cooking equipment. So like have a good quality knife and like good cooking pans and stuff like that. Cause it makes a huge difference and it just like simplifies it. But oh, man. yeah, cooking can be I joke with my wife. I was like, if we have a 2000 square foot house, I want 1800 of it to be a kitchen. <laughs> that does sound nice. But on that note too, I will say some people, I think even if they had a personal chef for them, they would still struggle to like know what works for them. And so like, that's another important piece. I'm like, that's a good point. So yeah. maybe I should rephrase that and say, <laughs> maybe instead of Andy being your personal chef, maybe he could be your cooking coach. Yeah. He could be your strength and conditioning My and cooking. My coaching, cooking coach would be like, coach. here's a New York Times recipe that I screenshot because you don't have a membership. 
This was the dish that I did the other night. Part of oh, my screen for being. Oh, that looks incredible. Yeah, but I mean, it was nuts. That's, the black beans. That looks really like, good. Yeah. It was fabulous. Anyway. Yeah. So all that to say, I mean, I think we could all agree that the act of cooking, because it is a, it's an engaging process. You you could say that maybe it flirts with the whole flow state idea in the sense that it requires your undivided attention mm-hmm. um, and and it requires obviously sequential steps and you paying attention and you're feeling the feels and you're smelling the scents and you're feeling the heat or whatever the case may be because it engages your body and it engages all of your senses you have a more um, just just a fundamentally stronger connection to it and that in and of itself, I can imagine from a nutrition standpoint, already checks a lot of boxes. Um, we could kind of get in, you could kind of almost find this parallel with a lot of other things. I mean, um, when we, and I'm not saying that, you know, putting something in a microwave for 45 seconds is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if you're not careful, if you divorce the experience of cooking and eating from the mindful process of cooking and eating that has the potential to exacerbate psychological which then soon snowballs into physiological issues Mm -hmm. Um, so and and granted i realize that taking the time and the effort and the energy to cook isn't something that's always practical for everybody all the time but if we're talking about why why is cooking for yourself or your partner or your family important? You know, they say that the chef eats twice. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Cooking is my love language. Cooking is your love language. The chef, the chef is physically there making yeah. the food. He's, he or she is smelling the smells. That in and of itself, you, certainly you've, you've probably noticed, you cook a big meal, you're not even that hungry. You've been ravenous. Honestly, because I'm a bad chef, and I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I could really. T- I told you, I'm again. coming over to teach you my bolognese. But Andy, cooking. maybe when Andy's cooking, he is ravenous. But, but you see what I mean when you're engaging all of your senses. And this is what I say about training all the time. Don't, don't get on. And this is just me. Don't get on the treadmill and watch a movie. I mean, there's, there's maybe a time and a place for getting your LISS in. But that's not what's going to fundamentally really change you from the inside out. We've talked about this all the time. The, the greatest thing for me is applying mindfulness into slamming weights. I'm feeling the iron in my hands. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling, I'm feeling the gravity. I'm feeling the weight. I'm... I'm feeling my muscles contract. I am, I am bringing a attitude of mindfulness meditation to the training process. And that's why I love every minute of it and why I can't wait to, to do it again. And why, knock on wood, most of my most serious injuries have been outside of the gym, not inside the gym. All that to say, what I do want to broach the subject of um, Wait, can I say one thing no, before please, I forget please. it? There's actually studies on like what you're talking about, and it's called the P factor, I think. Like if you look it up, like the pleasure factor of mm. actually like eating a meal that you enjoy, 
like actually like it tastes good and you're being mindful with it, you're really, really chewing it, um, one, better for your digestion, but two, you're gonna absorb it better mm. um, and actually get more nutrients out of that food. So with the studies, it's super interesting too, I'm probably gonna butcher it, but they look at like, they create a meal that is like traditional for that, whatever, um, like their heritage is. Mm -hmm. So they look at like, you know, like in Asian cultures, eating like rice and fish, for example, them eating that versus like whatever Irish dish would be like potatoes mm. and meat, like they're gonna actually get more out of their like traditional dish. So that's super interesting. And just like the mindfulness piece in general, that's actually one of the first things I work on with clients is eating in a rest and digest state. And I like beat it into their brains. Like every single time something comes up, I'm like, how are you eating your meal? Were you standing up? Were you in the car? Were you like actually sitting down, eating without distractions? Were you checking emails? Like we get into all that stuff, so. I am incredibly happy that you brought that up. And this might be cause for a little off mic conversation, I think in the past couple years, the biggest, thank you, Ken, the biggest um, mindset shift that I've had around nutrition is this idea of what your, uh, we all know this, sympathetic versus parasympathetic state. I've got, I've really gone down some deep rabbit holes on just how important that might be. Granted, I'm a bro, so I'm really most interested in bro science. <laughs> but to me, like it makes a whole lot of intuitive sense when it comes to the digestion process. Mm -hmm. And I also think for the training process. Yeah. We, we've heard this a million times. If you love your training, you're, you're gonna get great results. Oh yeah, At least it's a crappy program. You know, we could, we could debate semantics here. Sure. But if you loathe your training, you could have the best program in the world and you're probably gonna, you're probably gonna find yourself in the plateau. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something really to this idea of the state of your central nervous system or you, maybe you wanna call it your mindset or whatever you wanna call it. Fundamentally, this, which translates into the nerves, which innervate into our second brain, which is what I want to broach the, yeah. the next subject yeah. to. I think that's the huge missing component to not only strength training and nutrition, but to probably every other thing that we do with our bodies. This is a, hu this is a huge rabbit hole, but um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that if we overlook this idea of, um, maybe we could, we, could, um, we could say just like your, your mental or your physiological state could make the fundamental difference between your math, your macro math, working or not working. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, and I say too, like you can be eating the healthiest foods in the world or whatever you would consider to be the healthiest foods in the world, but if you're not, in that rest and digest state, like whenever you're eating them, which starts in the brain, so just like the thought of food starts the digestive process, then you're not gonna be getting the most out of those foods. So like you're not gonna be getting the actual nutrients out of those foods or like breaking them down well. So 
um, yeah, I like I, I call it rest and digest or fight or flight mode. So like trying yeah. to get people out of that fight or flight mode as often as possible. Well, in a weird segue, but it might be um, applicable. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that a lot of times we look at both nutrition in our, our arenas. We look at nutrition. We clients look at nutrition and fitness as a means to an end. Like I have to eat a certain way so that I can achieve this weight loss or I have to train. I have a client right now. She literally has a watch that counts reps for her, which, okay. <laughs> so it counts reps. She'll forget to hit the button. And so she, the reps didn't count. They didn't count. And in a weird way, like, I'm like, well, <laughs> and I'll joke with her. I'm like, well, the workout didn't count because she didn't hit your button or whatever. But I think a lot of us tend to, to look at, I, I, I will find myself in this, like doing this as well, where I go to the gym and I'm like, man, I just need to do this, this, and this and get out. And I guess at the end of the day, the fact that I did it is better than not doing it. But sometimes I fall into the same trap of I need to eat a certain way because it will achieve this goal long term. I need to train a certain way because it will achieve this goal long term. So it's a means to an end. Whereas like sometimes when my clients come in, I'm like, stop, like stop with the objective monitoring. Let's stop with the calories burned. Let's just fuck it up for 60 minutes. Like, let's see what you can do, what you're capable of. Now, as far as objective monitoring is concerned, I still write down like sets and reps and weights and all that. But like, they're not really recording it, I am. So I'm like, let's just get after it. Let's just enjoy fitness for the sake of fitness. I'm not sitting here and saying that fitness and nutrition are unrelated. They're very much intertwined. But for the moment, we're fitnessing. So let's fitness for fitness sake. And then later when I'm cooking, I'm like, let's cook for the sake of the skill set and the patience and the timing. Like let's cook for cooking sake. Mm. Not because on the other side of it, I have a bomb ass meal because they are always bomb, <laughs> but also like low calorie or whatever. He's a humble chef. Yeah. So I'm telling you, I'm coming over to teach you my bonus. So if I may put a, put a bow on this yes. and, then, and then segue to the, uh, to the gut. Mm-hmm. We were talking last week about the importance of play in training mm-hmm. and task-oriented exercise. Oh, shit. How you could tell somebody to run as fast as they can, or you could get them to chase a frisbee, or you could get them to run away from a dog. <laughs> what is the difference? Very vicious dog. Fight, fight and flight. Fight. Yeah. Fight and flight. That's the key. So I think for me, Something that I've super been exploring is the role of fight in training. So I can really see how digestion and, and, and eating is on the other side of that, of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, yeah, do you every, think? everything, everything is everything. <clears throat> so, um, I am super curious, uh, about, uh, the gut or what is oftentimes called like our second brain. Um, obviously, I'm, this is not my area of expertise, so my bro science knowledge is, is that I know that we have lots of bacteria in the gut that um, obviously helps us to digest and, and process our food, and obviously I know that our, um, our eating habits can influence mm, the, the gut microbiome. And I can understand how that could have some wacky downstream effects. You're losing, you're losing a lot of good words here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I, I have a podcast. <laughs> I'm over here like, no way. I have, I have a podcast. Um, 
but um, but but my my knowledge is certainly very uh, passing and, and service level. Um, but so I'm curious specifically as it applies to how you um, view like the the whole nutrition process and how you and how you approach um, the nutrition coaching process. Where does the role of the gut come into play, and and how does that um, how does the gut present a filter for your advice and your recommendations for your for your clients? So basically, every symptom you can think of in some way can go back to the gut, because like you said, our gut is basically just a bunch of bacteria, and there's beneficial bacteria, and there's also opportunistic bacteria, um, and then there's inflammatory bacteria. So without telling the clients all of this, I somehow make the connection that we need to support your gut in order to see improvements with your symptoms. So one of the most common ones, so if they have obvious digestive symptoms and they come to me with like chronic, like chronic bloating, constipation, maybe diarrhea, no, sorry, am I getting tooting eye on here. Not at all. I mean, yeah, um, you can talk about poop all day. All the things. Um, so those are the most common ones. And then sometimes they'll have diagnosis like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, and um, an IBS diagnosis, which is basically just umbrella term for like, you have a lot of digestive symptoms and we don't know where it's coming from. And we can't diagnose it with like a formal like medication. So we'll just call it IBS. Hmm. Um, so all of those things, if they come to me with obvious digestive symptoms, they also usually have like mood imbalances. So anxiety, and they've been put on like anxiety meds. Um, and they have also like really bad um, like PMS and like hormone related symptoms as well. So that's really interesting. And it's definitely not coincidence, but to address those imbalances, we have to address the gut. So, um, so yeah, so there are a lot of connections just like anecdotally, like working with clients and seeing those connections. Um, and then also like in terms of, you know, gut research, it's still like a relatively new science. And I feel like now everybody's talking about it. Like probiotics are trendy, bone broth is trendy, collagen's trendy. Um, things that like I was just finding out about like 15 years ago are now very like prevalent. Um, but I mean, and they all have a time and place too, just like you know, macros and calories have a time and place and they can definitely help um, with digestion and with gut health. Um, but yeah, like all of those things, like it's a very new research. So, you know, information is still coming out, but it's very obvious that the type of bacteria you have in your gut is correlated with these other uh, symptoms, especially the ones like related to your mood, anxiety, um, and hormones. So those are like the big ones that I see. Um, so yeah, and for some people too with like, uh, not to get too nerdy, but with the uh, like the stubborn weight, I don't know if you guys have any clients who are like they feel like they're already like eating really healthy and they still have issues with their weight or like weight loss resistance, as some people call it. Um, you do. You're have looking at one. Like that? Oh, you have weight loss resistance. I yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, aside from the beer. I was just saying. I think have? I think I think my gut just took over my brain and just pointed just pointed <laughs> to the alcohol. But yes, I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna say, if you actually look at like, a, so one of the tests I run is a, it's called a GI map test, and it shows all the strains of bacteria, um, and it can show like mm -hmm. infections, parasites, things like that too. 
Um, but if you're low in certain beneficial bacteria, then that's associated with weight loss resistance. So we can look at that and say like, okay, your acromantia is low, so we can like work on bumping that off with a specific probiotic, not just like a like one from Whole Foods or mm. CBS or something sure. like that. So, mm. um, so that's kind of cool. But yeah, the gut is basically connected to everything and whether or not you have digestive issues. Like again, I think the digestive issues for some people are a blessing in disguise because they're like, okay, I know I need to work on my gut. So like we can start there. But if someone comes to me and they're having all of these other symptoms and they're like, well, I don't have digestive issues. So I don't think it's my gut. Like we still have to look at that. Mm -hmm. um, especially with the mood stuff, the hormone stuff. So yeah, it's a like really foundational place to start. But with that said, like you can do all the testing and all the supplements for that gut support and all the bone broth and collagen and things like that. But you still have to have the like foundations down of like eating adequate calories, um, balancing blood sugar. So like those things I talked about in the beginning, um, but yeah. I wish that we could yap for another two and a half hours. Hmm. I will start with an apology. I neglected to fully charge my laptop before, <laughs> before, before we came out to do this episode. So I think we're running dangerously low on laptop <laughs> juice. I thought you were gonna say it already went out. So no, Close. no, we're so so far we're so like, we're okay. Yep. Do we have eight minutes? Um, Seven minutes. We might have three minutes. Okay. So there's one more thing that I did want to talk about. Please. Can and we can wrap on it. Well, two things. The first is you had a five-step framework to improve your metabolism and hormones. Mm. I know that's going to be a complicated issue that yeah. we can't cover in a short period of time, but I would do want to try. And then also, how would our audience, our audience find you, sorry, um, on socials, if they want to reach out, have questions, so on and so forth. So, Yeah, the five-step framework is really in-depth. I'll, I'll start on the first step of the five-step framework. Let's do that. Okay. okay. So one of them is the first step for is measure. So, And this could be really helpful for a lot of your clients looking at the health of their metabolism in the first place, um, taking your basal body temperature. So body temperature first thing in the morning should be between 97.5 and 98.6. And if it's lower, that's a sign that metabolic adaptations have occurred. And so this also correlates with a lower heart rate. So resting heart rate in the morning, if it's super, super low, along with a lower body temperature, that's a sign of a slower metabolism, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're looking at it from a fitness perspective, because that's a sign that you're really good at like conserving energy and being efficient with your energy that you take in. But if you're looking at it from a why can't I lose weight and why am I tired all the time perspective, then it's working kind of like against your your favor. So okay. that's, yeah. So, and I always, cause what gets measured gets managed. That's like the first part of the framework. Um, and so that's why we start with looking at measuring your metabolism. Um, and that's a really like quick, easy way to do it and evaluate it. So. Yeah, I could go on and on about metabolism sure. measurements. Yeah, um, and like different Jack said, we symptoms and things hours, associated with it. But yeah, yeah. Step two is meals. So I guess we kind of covered a lot of that too, like making meals that are very simple, enjoyable, easy to prepare, and also balance your blood sugar. So that one's kind of like multi-layered. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Not so we are definitely going to have you back. Yeah. in the very near Actually, future yeah. for a round two. Um, 
even if we weren't running on fumes here in terms of laptop battery life, I still think there's plenty more to dig into and really glad to have you as a local resource here, here in Nashville, even though you do a lot of online and digital coaching. So as yeah, we yes. wrap up here, um, if people are interested, where do they find you? How do they reach out? Yeah, so you can find me. So my Instagram is Meg Crozier, C-R-O-Z-I-E-R-N-T-P. Um, so you can find me there. And then I also have like the link in my bio if you want to look at my website. Um, I'm actually running a five-day free challenge coming up uh, two weeks from now. So you can sign up for that if you want to. Um, and then there's also information on my website on how to work with me. Um, and I work, yeah, I work virtually with clients like all over the United States. So primarily one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, and I do have some group program offers as well too. So very cool. Sweet. Yeah. Can we have you back? Uh, yes. Okay. As long awesome. as, as long as you remember to charge your computer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? It took 61 episodes, but it was bound to happen. <laughs> but we did remember well, to take a, I forgot we took my a picture recorder, for the thumbnail. So, yes, and I was supposed to bring my handheld recorder just in case. There was, but but we are 60 minutes is tr we try to cut it off around 60 minutes, so we're doing yeah. okay. We're doing great today. It's keeping us honest, at least. Yes, yeah. it yeah, is totally. keeping us honest. So, but we have a lot to unpack. So, I would love to have you back. Yep, yeah. totally. So, uh, Megan, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time and uh, the effort and the energy to come out here, share some time with us. We obviously had like, you know, a decently long conversation before we ever hit record. And that's- It's true, yeah. We that's oftentimes the, uh, the case here. <laughs> so um, thank you. Thanks again to Zahn's Brewing here in uh, Nashville. And, you know, Megan, as, as you find your way um, around town as a new Nashville resident, um, explore the nation's area. There's definitely cool. yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff around here. Yeah. Um, including Zahn's, which in case anybody doesn't know, we're actually in a converted church here. So And well and Ken also just tapped the the uh, blonde ale. Yes. That's new. Uh, Andy and I uh, Megan, what were you drinking? IPA. The IPA. The IPA. Yeah. I gotta say this is my uh, one and a half glass of the new Belgian blonde. Gotta say, I'm a big fan. It's good. I'm a big fan. It might knock off the oatmeal stout as Get my out of town. as my new favorite. Get out of town. As my Can new favorite. Make great beers. As my no. as my new favorite. Hey, I'm a lighter. I'm a lighter beer guy. You're, uh -huh. you're lucky. I stuck with the oatmeal stout as long as I did. Uh, I'm a lighter beer guy. Okay. That's me, especially hey, as it warms up. What? You know what I'm saying? We're gonna have to take the show outside when the weather's nice enough. Can't yeah. wait. You say I have a little patio area out there. Yeah. That's where Andy and I first started recording, but. Um, <laughs> We're getting off topic. Right. right. Um, so, Megan, thank you again so much thank for, so much. for thank coming you for out. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we literally just, I literally saw you on the internet one day and I was like, The beauty of Instagram. We need to right. get her on the show. <laughs> Let's do a little cheers before we go. Yeah. Cheers, sure. guys. Cheers. Cheers. And then do your thing, brother. To the gut. I'm to just, the gut. I was gonna say, I'm just bombing mine right now, but okay. Do your thing. <laughs> Whether this is your first or your 61st episode, thank you so much for listening. A to Z. Megan, thank you so much for being here. No BS, no matter when you're listening. And we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>